Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles to the same passage we uh, were in last week, actually. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Last week, we concentrated on the physical. That is, Jesus is concerned even about our personal finances. Peter and the others had gone out fishing at night. They were professional fishermen. This was the way they made a living for their family. They fished all night and they came home empty-handed. There were bills that were going to go unpaid. And the Lord Jesus was concerned about that. And so he told them to cast out into the deep. And when they obeyed Jesus, uh, they caught so many fish, their boats almost sank. But that really is not the primary point uh, of verses 1 through 11 of Luke chapter 5. This is the point in which Jesus formally called four of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so this morning, let's uh, return to that text, read it again, and then let's concentrate on that calling. Scripture says that it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put away a little from the land. And he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, an unspecified period of time had passed since Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law there in the village of Capernaum. And now the fame of Jesus had grown to the point that wherever he went, there were throngs of people pressing about him, wanting to hear him teach, wanting to perform some miracle in their presence. And they push him right to the edge of the Lake of Gennesaret, which we said last week is the same body of water that we often call the Sea of Galilee. And there, Peter and Andrew and James and John were mending and washing their nets. And so Jesus, being a teacher, asked for the use of Peter's boat so that he could get some distance between himself and the people. And he sat down to do that which is his primary task here on earth, and that was to preach. We often think of Jesus performing great miracles and feeding the 5,000. But Jesus said of his own mission that he came to seek and save those who were lost. And later on in the New Testament, we find the Apostle Paul teaching that salvation comes through believing. And believing comes from hearing a message about Jesus. And so Jesus' primary task was to preach the gospel, to call men to repentance. 
and to faith. Those miracles verified that he was who he claimed to be, but they were not his primary task. So here we find him. He's in Peter's boat. He's teaching to the people. Uh, I get the picture of an amphitheater. There were hills then and today that uh, formed a ring around the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. I noticed yesterday that Greg Allman passed away. Most of you don't know Greg Allman. He was a famous rock star from the South in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I had some interaction with him in 1992. I was working on campus at Mississippi State University. One of my uh, jobs was that I ran the main spotlight at rock concerts that came to, you didn't know that about your pastor, did you? And in 1992, Mississippi State opened a brand new amphitheater. There was no seating, it was just sod, formed a bowl with the stage and the acoustics there were wonderful. And Greg Allman was the first act that ever, I ran a spotlight for it for that day. That means nothing except I remember that from yesterday when I saw that he'd passed. But, but Jesus was speaking really in an amphitheater setting. He didn't have any electronic amplification and it made for a very nice um, place to teach. But when he was through teaching, he called Peter and the others to action. That's the first point in our outline today. Preaching leads to action. Look at verse four. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. I fear that sometimes many of us who come to church on a regular basis come with no other intent than to judge whether we liked it or not, right? Isn't that what we do? We, we, as Baptists, we come to church, we listen to the sermon, the Sunday school lesson, we go home and have the preacher for lunch, right? And, and we decide whether we, we liked it or not. We might even rate it on a one to 10 scale. I hope you don't do that, but I've heard that some do that. That's not the purpose of preaching or teaching. We preach for change. Any true pastor calls people to change and to do something. And that's what Jesus did. Yes, he was a great teacher. People were amazed by the authority with which he taught. But then he called them to action as he does with Peter and the others. James 1.22 says this to Christians, but you be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. This is the fundamental relationship between faith and works in a Christian's life. All false religions teach that you can win God's love and your salvation through works. Biblical Christianity says that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. But the Bible also teaches that when a person is truly saved, naturally their life is going to be changed and they will have works. We are not saved by works, but by faith, but genuine faith always results in works. Now here's Peter. He was a professional fisherman. He'd been around this body of water all of his life. He knew this lake like the back of his hand. And I said last week, the last thing a professional fisherman needs is fishing advice from a carpenter. And Jesus told him where to find the fish. But we know, of course, that this was no ordinary carpenter. This was God in that boat that day. Now, if you read the four Gospels, it might be a little bit confusing to you about the chronology of the apostles' calling. Jesus already knew Peter, and Peter knew Jesus by this point, not just because he had been to his house to heal his mother-in-law, but in the Gospel of John chapter 1, we find the introduction of Jesus to Andrew and, and Simon. But let's just turn there. John chapter 1, just a few pages over. You come to verse 35 of John chapter 1, and we'll find that Andrew, Peter's brother, was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, was the forerunner of Jesus. John made it very clear that he was not the Messiah, but that he came to prepare the way for the Messiah. But he had his own disciples, 
one of whom was Andrew, Peter's brother. So look at John 1.35. Again, the next day, John was standing, this is John the Baptist, with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you'll see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Up until this point in his life, Simon had been known for his instability. If you know anything about Peter, he often opened his mouth before he thought. Someone has referred to Peter as the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Every time he, he spoke, he seemed to put his foot in his mouth. But Peter gave him, excuse me, Jesus gave him a new name, which is Cephas or Peter, which means rock. That is, you are going to be stable with my influence in your life. And, and so here we find Andrew, Peter's brother, introducing Peter to Jesus. I think Andrew may be one of the two most underrated characters in all the Bible. I preached a sermon a few years ago about Barnabas, and I, I said my belief then, and I still believe that Barnabas is the most underrated character in all the New Testament. He was given the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Every time we see Barnabas in the scriptures, he's doing something to encourage a brother or sister in Christ. Well, in the same way, Andrew, every time we see him in the scripture, he's introducing someone to Jesus. And that made such an impression on me as a young man that when uh, my only son was born five years ago, we named him Andrew. And I would tell you that if he grows up to have the same reputation as his namesake of introducing people to Jesus, his mother and I will be very happy indeed. The second point, the key to a believer's success is obedience to Christ's instruction. Look at verse 5. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. I said last week that Peter had a faith, but it was an imperfect faith. If you're like me, your faith is imperfect. But Peter's faith was an obedient faith. He did as Christ said. And say to young people and children, you learn to be obedient to God by being obedient to your parents. That is your first relationship is your mom and dad. And here's what the Bible says about that relationship. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Our love for Christ as Christians is proven by our obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our faith in Christ is proven through obedience. James, the brother of Jesus says, we talk about faith, but faith is proven, if it's real or not, that is, through obedience. We are sometimes, though, we are sometimes as Christians called to obey Christ, even when we don't understand what he's doing. In fact, that might be the majority of the time. He calls us to obey him even when he doesn't choose to tell us why. Did you know that God doesn't have to tell us why? You know, when you tell your children to do something, what's their most important question? Why? Well, we're tempted to say, because I said so, right? Well, God is not obligated to tell us why. Sometimes he does out of graciousness, but often he does not. He just calls us to obedience. And so Jesus says, cast out into the deep. 
Peter mildly objects. I'm sure thinking I'm the professional fisherman in this group. We know that the fish school at night, not in the middle of day, but if you say so, Lord, we'll do it. And he did. Can you imagine what a blessing Peter and the others would have missed out on if they had disobeyed? Scripture says when they'd done this, that is when they obeyed the Lord's commandment, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners, hey guys, come over here and help us. We got more than we can handle. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. I think there's a great biblical principle here. Hear it closely. When our Lord prompts you to do something as a Christian and you recognize it as his voice, don't ignore it. Don't ignore the Lord's promptings. He, speak, he speaks often to us in that still, small voice. How many times at the end of a long day, I'm in my car on my way home, and the Lord will prompt me about some brother or sister who needs a visit, who needs a word of encouragement. And in my flesh, I say, I'll do that tomorrow, Lord. And I have learned in 23 years of ministry that tomorrow is not promised. And every time I'm obedient to the Lord and I go and visit that brother or sister, almost always they will say, the Lord must have sent you. <laughs> the Lord knew I needed some encouragement today. Oh, what great timing. Never ignore the promptings of the Lord. And so when they obeyed, they, they were blessed. Not only that, it, it's sinful to ignore the promptings of the Lord. James 4, 17 says this, Therefore to him who knoweth to do good, and doeth it not. To him it is sin. Now there are all kinds of sins in the pantheons of sin, but there are only two great categories of sin according to the scripture. There are the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Sins of commission are when we do something we should not do. That is we violate a commandment. God says thou shalt not lie and we lie. We've committed a sin. But then there's the other category of sin that we often fail to recognize, the sins of omission, when God says to do something and we don't. When he prompts us to act and we fail to. And here's Peter, and he obeyed the Lord. And when he did, he, he caught something. He caught a boatload of fish. Now don't take that to mean that if you're obedient to the Lord, you're always going to be healthy and wealthy. Don't, don't misinterpret and misapply the scripture like that. But we do know that when we walk closely to the Lord, when we walk in obedience to Him, our life will be blessed. Peter caught more than fish that day. Our third point is that Peter caught fish and a new perspective of Jesus and himself. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, that is the boat was full of fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord! For I'm a sinful man. The new perspective is this. If you look back in the previous verse, he calls Jesus master. But now in verse 8, he calls him Lord. Now master was a, a common term to call your teacher that you respected. I have an acquaintance who's a bivocational pastor. And he's a pastor on, on Sundays. But what he does during the week is he teaches at a local college where he lives. And what he teaches is bass fishing, believe it or not. There is a class in the PE department, I should have gone to this school, <laughs> that you can get three hours of credit for. And he teaches you how to pick out lures. And then for your final, you go out to the lake and you, you go fishing. And so he says they were on, on the, uh, the lake fishing. And this young lady in the class asked him, Professor, what title do you want us to call you? 
She said, uh, we, we don't know how to address you. And he said, well, what do you call your other professors here at the college? And she said, well, doctor. He said, why do you call them doctor? She said, that's because of the degree that they have is a doctorate. Well, he said, well, I have a master's degree. <laughs> and for the rest of the semester, all the students called him master. <laughs> well, these men called Jesus master. He was their teacher, but, but that was a common title for teachers. In verse eight, his new perspective is this is not just a great teacher, this is God. And so he calls him Lord. The Greek word is kurios, which is reserved for deity. That's a, a big distinction, isn't it? And, and that's the reason Peter's response to this great catch is kind of confusing to us. When we have some great event in our life that's positive, we tend to rejoice and jump up and down. Peter had the opposite. He, he knelt down and said, Lord, go away from me. Why? Because he recognized God was in the boat and God knew his heart. He said, I have an unclean heart. Reminds me of what Paul said, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm, I'm a dirty man, he said. Our next point is Jesus is gracious to the humble. The, the beginning point of becoming a follower of Christ is that moment of humility where you recognize you are dirty before a holy God. You can't be saved until you understand that, if I understand the scriptures correctly. That's why Jesus said when he was teaching the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. He, he was not saying there's something inherently blessed about not having any money. He was talking about your spiritual condition. When you recognize you have nothing to offer God, you are a spiritual pauper. He has righteousness that you need and you have nothing to negotiate with. That is how a person is saved, through humility. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. Do not fear. Most of us can quote John 3.16. We should also memorize John 3.17. For God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The reason Peter didn't have to fear is not because he wasn't guilty. Jesus never denied his guilt. By the way, he never denies our guilt. Do you remember the woman who was caught in adultery? Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, but he never denied her guilt. He said, go and sin no more. And so he does with Peter. Based on what? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we cleaned up our act a little bit. In while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The beginning point of Christianity is humility. Finally, I want to give some attention to the most famous statement here in these 11 verses. And that is, from now on, you'll be catching men. This is a very wonderful Greek phrase in the original language. It's translated in most English Bibles as you'll catch men. But what it really says in the Greek is you'll catch men alive. You'll catch men alive. You know that uh, Peter as a commercial fisherman caught free fish alive so that they could die and be consumed. 
as Christians, hear this, we are called to catch spiritually dead men so that they can be made alive and set free for God's glory. I don't think you heard what I said. Listen very closely. We are called to catch spiritually dead men so that they can be made alive and set free for His glory. And when I wrote that sentence in my office this week, I almost had a revival right there. (laughs) What a privilege to carry this life-giving message with us wherever we go. Every man, woman, boy, and girl we come in contact with this summer, we can share this truth with. We need to be fishers of men. See, this, this call to be fishers of men, I'm convinced, was not just for these four. Not even for just the twelve. It is for all Christians. Just as we believe the Great Commission is for every believer in every epoch of history. We're called to be fishers of men. But if we're to be fishers of men, finally, fifthly, we must be equipped. Look at verse 11. He says, they left everything and and followed him. For three and a half years, 12 men followed Jesus wherever he went. Now, we find Jesus with thousands around him. They they, they wanted to, to hear some amazing teaching and many of them just wanted their belly full from the miracles that he did and they want to be entertained. Jesus knew their hearts. And when Jesus started teaching the hard things, the Bible says most of them left him and went back home. But he invested his life, not in the throngs of people, but in just a few. He equipped them for ministry so that when he ascended back into heaven after his resurrection, the gospel would then go out all over the world as it surely did. But he equipped them. Now now think about the equipment that Christ has given us to be fishers of men. He's given us the Word of God, right? The whole counsel of God. Not, not even the disciples had the full canon of Scripture like we do today. What a blessing to live when we do. We have the same indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit as they received on the day of Pentecost. We have brothers and sisters in Christ by the hundreds in this room who love us and hold us accountable to thee. We have some amazing equipment So so let's just go through the checklist this morning to make sure we have this equipment. First of all, before you can be a fisher of men, you have to be caught by Jesus. That is, you must be saved. If you're not born again, you're in no position to lead someone else to saving faith. That's why the Bible says we must examine ourselves from time to time to see that we are in the faith. But if you are in the faith, you must be able to know what the gospel message is and articulate it to another person. I hear people say sometimes, well, I share the gospel through my life by the way I live. Well, that's wonderful. But at some point, if someone is going to be saved, they have to hear the same gospel you heard to be saved. So we must be able to understand the gospel and its elements and articulate to to another person. We also must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership. We need to be able to recognize His still small voice. And then ultimately we must open our mouth and tell what we know. That's what it means to be a witness. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you shall be my witnesses. We have to tell what we know. And so let me give you some practical suggestions about being a good Christian fisherman. You need to write down your testimony. Be good for you to hear it. 
to, to, to think through how the Lord drew you unto Himself and the people that He used and the circumstances that He used to show you your need of a Savior and how you were brought to a place of humility and contrition and repentance and how He saved you. And, and then you need to share that with, first of all, your family and your friends, and then be able to, to share that with, with neighbors and others that you come in contact with. And there's something about writing it down that helps us. And then practice it. That, that sounds very unspiritual, I know, to practice your testimony, practice witnessing, but it's, it's a good thing to do. Because you don't need to wait until the, the opportunity presents itself to figure out what you're going to say. Know what you're going to say. And then follow someone around who's doing it well. My brother, my only brother is three years older than me. And when we were little, we were either playing baseball or we were at the fishing hole. And uh, I flatter myself that I outdid him on the baseball field, but there's no question he was a much better fisherman than me. And I hate to admit that to this day, but he was. And you know what I started doing? I started watching how he fished. I started watching what lures he used. I started watching where he fished and what part of the lake he fished on. And I became a better fisherman. Now, it made me mad that he was a better fisherman. And when he found out what I was doing, it made him mad. But I can virtually guarantee you, if you find someone in our church who is an active, vocal, verbal witness for the Lord Jesus, it will not bother them in the least for you to follow them around and watch what they do. And I'm going to make you an offer on behalf of our entire staff. If you have a friend, a neighbor, a loved one, co-worker, that you're concerned about the state of their soul, and you want to share the gospel with them, but you're timid or shy or don't feel like you're equipped, I will make an offer on behalf of every pastor in our church. If you'll call us, we'll go with you, and we'll help you, and we'll teach you. And you can, not that we do it perfectly, but I do know the men on our pastoral staff faithfully share the gospel witness with people that they come in contact with and we will be more than happy to go with you by the way here's my offer to you on monday night we go out at 6 30 we meet right down here at the parlor every monday night we have prayer and we go out if you want to go be here you can partner with us and we'll go out watch people who do it and then you do it the call to be a fisher of men is not for peter and john and andrew and james only it is for all believers, just as it's not a call for the pastors only. Remember I said that Jesus spent three and a half years equipping the disciples. Do you know what the job of pastors is? Very clear in the scripture. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not to do all the work of ministry, but to equip you all to do the work of ministry. And so let's all commit together today to be doers of the word, not hearers only, when it comes to being fishers of men. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we thank you as we saw last week that you care about our financial and physical needs. But Lord, we know ultimately that the physical is temporary. That's why you tell us not to lay up treasures on earth because it depreciates in value and ultimately will be worthless. But we are to lay up treasure in heaven. Lord, I can't think of a, a more valuable treasure than men's souls. So, Lord, help us to become fishers of men. Lord, I pray that every Christian in our church would commit to understanding the gospel message and practicing it until we can verbalize it and articulate it at a moment's notice. 
Father, we know that it's not up to us to save anyone, but you have chosen in your sovereignty to use a proclaimed message to convict men of sin and judgment and righteousness. And Lord, I thank you that I get to be a part of that and every born again believer can have that same privilege. If we submit to your Lordship, Lord, open our eyes to the opportunities around us every day to speak a good word for Jesus and then give us the boldness to open our mouth and to speak. And we pray it in his name for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.